Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Biomara. This is a weekly news show where I discuss contemporary events in the art and history fields. I'm your host and personal curator, Amara Andrew. The format for the show that I typically follow, but I really just don't follow anymore, uh, is one traditionally used by Western brides. Something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. This week, we're going to be talking about the oldest, most complete copy of the Hebrew Bible up for auction, a housing complex uncovered at Chichen Itza, girl with a pearl earring might actually be a misnomer, and there's one left, one less Jeff Koons balloon dog in the world. All that more coming up on this episode of Biomara. Let's get to it. So as always, let's start with some ads, just one ad in particular. As I've talked about in the past couple episodes, there's a company that myself and my partner have started called vert.video, V-E-R-T dot V-I-D-E-O. Vert.video is basically to help make more time for you. I totally understand. I mean, I have this podcast. I'm running my video production business. I'm doing a bunch of different things. Custom. I'm, I'm doing a lot of different things. So I totally understand that time is super valuable. So does my partner, Jeff, boyfriend, Jeff. I don't, I don't know what to call him. Boyfriend feels so weird. Anyway, Jeff also understands because he literally hosts like 10 different podcasts. Like I shit you not. So the point of vert is to help create more time for you with vert. We take your full podcast episodes and break it up into digestible, easy to watch social media clips. So how do you get your podcast discovered? Social media. That is one of the best marketing tools that's out there right now. So having your full podcast, maybe an hour or three hours, however long, chopped up into digestible social media clips, it helps people be able to find you. So with Vert, you can keep your audience engaged and coming back for more. Again, that's V-E-R-T dot V-I-D-E-O linked in the description below. Now on to the show. Hello! Welcome to episode 23 of Biomara. This is crazy. I can't believe we're already 23 weeks into it. Technically 24 because I took a week off, but whatever. And it's just, it's wild to me. So welcome back. Normally I start the show off with a bunch of different updates related to all the stories that I've talked about in weeks past. I actually actually don't dabbed any, (laughs) so... Why am I always so tongue-tied? So I actually don't have any related to the stories that I've talked about in weeks past. So I'm going to give personal life updates. You can zoom ahead if you want to the first story. It doesn't doesn't bother me. All of my personal life updates are technically related to art history, but not entirely. So just I'll just get into them. Last week, I teased that I was actually getting a brand new backpack for my camera gear. I got it. Not without a story, though. I had placed an order on Amazon to get this backpack not a sponsor and I had ordered it from the company that actually makes it peak design I guess I'll just say I don't know none of these are sponsors so whatever I ordered the backpack through Amazon and it said peak design as the shipped by like sold by shipped by I always 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 quadruple check to make sure that it's actually from the company that I want to purchase it from not from Big Bob's Super Emporium or some shit like that like I always make sure it's from the actual person and it was I ordered it It arrived. I was super stoked because I actually had a brand new client that I was filming with and I wanted like I wanted everything to just like be perfect and like look professional and good. It shows up. I watch the Amazon driver walk up, come to my front door, leave it. I go out. I grab the box. I'm so excited. I grab my little scissors, my little packing scissors. I open it up and something immediately was off. There was just a vibe. It was literally just the backpack in the box without any packaging around it. Mind you, I know that Peak Design is a very 
very amazing company. Just they make quality products. I have basically all of their stuff already, but the backpack was the missing piece. We have the tripod. I have like the little pack to go things, um, just a bunch of different things. So I know what a peak design thing is supposed to look like, especially from the company on Amazon. I have ordered straight from Amazon before and gotten something in the box. It's literally just the backpack. It just, it looks off not only without the packaging, but just like the backpack itself looks off. Again, I couldn't tell you what it was, but there was just like a vibe to it. So I open up the backpack because it's your like favorite shiny new toy and you want to play with it. Inside the zipped compartment is a fucking snack size box of dots, the candy smashed in there. Not as a token of their appreciation, mind you. It is literally just some random fucking box of candy. And I was like, okay, something happened. This is not from Peak. And I know it for a fact. So I went over to Amazon, went in my account. And sure enough, wasn't actually sold from Peak. As I had already stated, like it was supposed to be from Peak. Like I know I selected it because of that. I'm very diligent with that. So I went back to check in my account and it said shipped from Big Bob Super Important or something like that. I don't even remember the name. Also, I don't want to drag anybody through the mud. So immediately get on support, figure it out, blah, blah, blah. I get my money back, send it back. But I was like, are you kidding me? So anyway, at the same time, I placed an order through the Peak website. It was already free shipping. I don't know why I just didn't do that in the first place. But anyway, so I did get my backpack, TLDR. I got it. It's safe and sound. It is amazing. It is beautiful. This one actually looks real too. I don't know. The other one just didn't look right. Like there was just something off about it. Actually, I can show you because it's right here. So if you do photography or videography or anything, or you're just looking for a really cool backpack, I highly recommend this. You'll see every fucking cinematographer or photographer with it, but it has these huge, oh my God, this is so not a sponsor. I just think it's such a cool backpack, um, but it has these like really big compartments and everything. So if you travel a lot, I mean, this can honestly just be your travel bag. Okay. So my next update, I guess technically is an update for one of the stories that I talked about last week, Big Red Boots by Mischief. I talked about them, go listen to how I feel about them and everything. I teased that I was thinking about trying to purchase them. I spent so much time trying to figure out, do I actually want these? Do I need these? Absolutely not. Who needs these like it's such a fucking waste of money but in my mind I was like well this is actually like an art piece I don't know there are a bunch of different perspectives you can think on it and everything and it is a couple hundred dollars to purchase this pair of boots I you could ask my boyfriend Jeff I literally was just like I don't need to buy this what the fuck am I thinking like this is absolutely insane there's no reason for me to own these I am not a multi-million dollar collector or whatever I, I don't have that much money to be expending on something like this like it's absolutely frivolous it's such a waste of money but then in my mind I was just like you know what fuck it let's see what happens maybe I can resell them whatever so I go to click to see if I can actually purchase them and I can so then I'm like oh my god do I actually want to do this so I did input all of my info I put it all in and I was reviewing it and I was like oh god I don't know and Jeff's like well just think about it for a second you have a little bit of time you don't need to make the decision immediately and I was like yeah you're right so I wait a couple seconds and I'm like oh, fuck it I'm just gonna do it and just see what happens whatever we'll figure it out and I click and they're already gone I had my little window of opportunity I waited too long and you know I don't regret it at all though because that would have been almost four hundred dollars on a gimmick essentially like it's not it is a piece of artwork it's like a performance artwork almost I don't even how to know how to quantify it or classify it that's still a substan substantial chunk of money 
to waste on something. I don't even have anywhere where I'd fucking put them. I guess I'd put them like right here or something, but I tried to buy them. I almost had the opportunity and then I chickened out and then it just ended up working out in the end. So TLDR, I don't have any big red boots, uh, but they were available. It looked like, which was wild to me. I genuinely didn't think I was actually going to be able to get them. So I will not be stomping around in any big red boots anytime soon. Cause also I was like, I'd rather do something helpful to myself or somebody that I love with that money. So anyway, final update. We're almost to the stories. Don't worry. My final update. I This past weekend, I went to, well, this past week on Friday, I went to the Salvador Dali exhibit at the Art Institute of Chicago. It was a member preview, so you could go take a look and see what it looks like before all the chaos. It was interesting, I will just say. So we made a whole day out of it because why not? We were already taking the whole day off, so just make it fun. We went to our favorite coffee shop, uh, Sawada Coffee. Go check it out if you're ever here in Chicago. It's fantastic. They also have an amazing barbecue place, or I guess smoked meats. I don't even know. I would qualify it as a barbecue place. They have an amazing restaurant within the coffee shop as well. So check that out as well. Coffee and barbecue. It's like perfect. That's all I need. So we went there and then we got to the Art Institute and you had to join a virtual queue just to keep everybody like moving so you didn't actually have to physically be there so then you could walk around the museum and blah 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 so I ran over there was a super nice lady also that helped us out I didn't get her name but she was absolutely lovely if for some godforsaken reason you are watching this you are very lovely and thank you so much for your help because I was trying to figure out the virtual queue she's my little guardian angel she helped me figure it out um and so then we just walked through the entire museum we saw the uh beauty of African art I think was the title of the exhibit that was fantastic. That was a really well done ex like exhibition. So we've spent a lot of time in there and then just walked around the rest of the museum. I spent so much time there that I'm like, I'm not bored of seeing all of the artwork, but I've definitely seen all of it way too much. And uh, when I was teaching at Columbia as well, all of my students would talk about all the different artworks that were in there. So it's kind of like, yeah, I get it, whatever. So yes, you can get bored of art, believe it or not. So then we're just, I'm watching my phone and I'm like, okay, we're like 200. Mind you, we start at like 285 or something in line so we had a bit of time uh so I was just watching it tick down throughout the day and then we finally got down to it actually I have a whole video I don't know why I'm explaining all this I have a whole video about it on my TikTok or on my Instagram or YouTube shorts as well so you can check that out so we finally get into the exhibit and I'm very excited like I'm so excited I've had this on my calendar basically since I got the newsletter from the Art Institute that they were going to offer this member preview so stoked I mean, I even have the fucking Salvador Dali cookbook over here on one of our tables, so I'm very excited to go. And it's finally our time to go into the exhibit, scan the little member thing that they need, and then we go in filled with people. I knew it was going to be crowded. I didn't think it was going to be this crowded, so that already kind of threw off the vibe. Um, also, we got there a little bit later than I intended to, so I think they were just trying to push people through as quickly as possible. Tons and tons of people in there. A lot of people were just like sitting in there. Not really looking at the art, but just talking to each other, which I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like you're taking up space for everybody else. But I digress. One of the people that actually that was sitting told Jeff that she would have cast him in a movie if she was a casting director, which I was like, oh, my God. And she's like, you're beautiful. Your girlfriend's beautiful, too. And I was like, it felt like one of those pity things where it's like, oh, yeah, you too. Or I was like, whatever. Uh, so we get in there and I had already seen all of the artwork that was in there. It was a very small exhibition. I had already seen every single piece, so I was a little disappointed. <laughs> or I, I guess a couple. There were a couple that I hadn't seen before, but I personally was just a little disappointed because I had built it up so much in my mind, so it was my expectations. But anyway, TLDR, 
you should still see the exhibition because it was really well done. If you really love Salvador Dali, you really should see it. So just that was just my own two cents. Again, don't build things up too much in your mind because then you might be sad. (laughs) So anyway, still did a great job, Art Institute. I still love you no matter what. So anywho, those are all my updates. So let's just get to the show. So this is a huge story in the manuscripts, rare books, just everything world. This is amazing. This is a really huge story. The oldest, most complete copy of the Hebrew Bible is scheduled to sell at Sotheby's on May 16th, 2023. Now, before I get into this story, there is an older Bible or codex that is already known about, and it's called the Aleppo Codex, but more than two-fifths of its pages are missing. So this is this is such a historic manuscript. And I'm going to tell you all the reasons why. Here we go. So what we're talking about today is the Codex Sassoon, and it was named after uh, the prominent collector that owned it, David Solomon Sassoon. He was a prominent collector of Judaic and Hebraic uh, different materials and manuscripts and things like that. He purchased it in 1929 for 350 pounds. So this tome weighs 26 pounds, and it measures 12 inches by 14 inches and is over 1,000 years old. It's not exactly known when it was written, but it's believed that it was written sometime between the late 9th and early 10th centuries by one one writer, just one specific writer completed this entire book. And this manuscript is super sturdy. Uh, the I believe the paper within it is parchment is what I was able to find. I thought it was going to be vellum or something, but it makes sense that it was parchment. And the Codex Sassoon contains all 24 books of the Hebrew Bible. It's only missing 12 leaves within this entire book. It is massive. If you're watching this, I have the photos up, but if you're listening to this on whatever podcast platform, you need to look it up. It is a huge, 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 huge manuscript and Bible. One of the really cool things about this is that there's marginalia in it. So marginalia is basically just people throughout history have written within the margins of this book. If you look at medieval manuscripts or anything like that, you will see a lot of times either people wrote their own commentary about whatever the story was that was in it. I mean, a lot of times it was like a Christian Bible, but you would see people write their little commentary on the side, sign their name, draw really pornographic images. I shit you not. There are actually people drawing dirty little images within these sacred religious texts. Um, Also, sometimes it was just actually built into the design already. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, So there is marginalia in this Codex Sassoon. So this marginalia includes ownership records. So people literally signing their name and saying this is who owned it like around this time period. There's commentary, musical notations, transcriptions, a variety of different things in there, which is really freaking awesome. What's also really historic and amazing about this text is that most sacred books of Judaism were actually uh, written on biodegradable materials. So the, the pages themselves, which is why so many different texts don't survive to this day, were written on like mostly plant materials and things like that. Those degrade really fucking quickly. So they don't survive to the modern age. I, we, we do have an exception with like the Dead Sea Scrolls, not fully intact, but they were kept in clay jars, I believe, and just underground. So those survived amazingly. So that is what makes this codex even more phenomenal and amazing is that it's a thousand years old and it survived this long. 
that's huge. Like people really took care of this amazing Bible. This manuscript also highlights the broader transition from an oral like storytelling tradition to a literary tradition. So that is really fascinating. So the Codex Sassoon, like I said, it's over a thousand years old, has largely been kept in private collections throughout most of its life. Because of that, it's also remained out of public view for centuries. It did show publicly, I think, 40 years ago about, but large majority of its life has been away in a private collector. So it's really a historic moment to be able to see this come to live auction. And when it's sold, it's been posited by people that this will be the most valuable historical document ever sold at auction. That is amazing. I want to swear, but this is like a religious thing, but it's just so cool. It's estimated that this codex is going to fetch anywhere between 30 and 50 million dollars at auction. A lot of auctions lately when it's been suggested like oh this is probably about where it's going to be it's gone way above that so I can only imagine that this is going to go for way more. You're going to have very serious uh, collectors of Judaic and Hebraic manuscripts looking for this or even just historians and I mean it's, it's amazing like this is such an amazing manuscript to have available for auction. I would like to see it in a museum. You know my stance on this already, if you've listened to me at all. I would love to see it in a museum where, you know, the general public can go and pay homage and uh, just celebrate the existence of this amazing book, but I digress. That's just me. Also, just to wrap up this story, I do want to point out that there's going to be a global tour scheduled for um, this codex beginning today, actually, through the 28th at Sotheby's in London. Then it's going to go to Tel Aviv, Dallas, LA, and then New York City. If you're interested at all in viewing it, check out the Sotheby's website to learn more. Now on to our next story. Sorry, I looked directly at the camera. I always just quadruple check that everything's recording. I've had that happen before where I thought something was recording and then it hadn't been for like the last 10 minutes. So I just wanted to double check. Anywho, a series of structures believed to be an elite housing complex has been found on one of the seven wonders of the world, Chichen Itza. This literally changes history as we know it because up until this point, no known residences had been found within this ancient Maya city. This is huge. This is literally, like I said, rewriting history. It's amazing. Enough hyperbole. Founded in the 5th century CE, the city was one of the largest Maya cities and was ruled by Maya elite while also serving as a place of pilgrimage for the ancient Maya. Roughly 2 million people, so today, <laughs> in this modern era, roughly 2 million people visit the UNESCO World Heritage Site each year. And the entire area has been under exploration by UNESCO since 1998. An archaeologist at the site, Francisco Perez Ruiz, stated that the housing complex that was uncovered, known as Chichen Viejo, represents, quote, the first residential group where a ruler lived with his entire family. So, so far, what's been uncovered in the complex, um, it includes an entrance arch, the house of the snails, the house of the moon, and my personal favorite, the Palace of the Phalluses. <laughs> I'm only giggling because I'm a 10-year-old boy in a woman's body, and I just find stupid things very funny. I'm very immature. I will be the first to admit that. But I really feel like Palace of the Phalluses, or Palace of Phalluses, should be the name of a strip club. And Palace of Phalluses could be a sacred religious site. Again, I'm not laughing at that. I'm literally laughing at the name, because I know somebody's going to be in the comments and be like, mm -hmm. 
I'm not laughing at that. I would not laugh at something serious like that. I am laughing literally because it's a house of dicks. I find that very funny. You don't have to. I do. So let's just move on with our day. Anyway, in 2018, something else historic and amazing was uncovered on this site. There's actually a second pyramid that was discovered deep within the famous Kukulkan pyramid that's on the site right now. And that pyramid celebrates the the deity Kukulkan, who is very similar to the Aztec deity Quetzalcoatl, which... I do want to talk about last month, some fucking idiot dickhead Polish tourist climbed the steps of said famous pyramid. Not only is that super fucking illegal, that is also super fucking disrespectful. So you are an asshole that is just so blatantly rude and unnecessary. Anyway, and a couple other people have done that too, which just fucking don't walk on it. I think there was actually a lady that beat this guy with a cane at the bottom and then he was apprehended by... uh, like the the authorities and everything and he has to pay a fine i think you should just execute him right on the spot personally but that's just me anywho back to the story so now with the uncovering of this housing complex there may be even more residential complexes waiting to be uncovered that will literally like i said at the beginning i i don't mean to be so hyperbolic but this is seriously rewriting history like that is absolutely amazing to find out about this area so anywho it's a very short story but i just thought that was fascinating because that literally provides so much more context to this this the sacredness and the importance of this site so anyway on to our next story the famous painting girl with a pearl earring might actually be a misnomer. This painting was created by Johan Vermeer during the Dutch Golden Age of Painting, and it depicts a young seated female. There are many different theories to who the seated person is, but right now, I think as it stands, um, this is what's called a trony, or it's like an, uh, an imaginary person, not like your imaginary friend that you had or still have, no judgment, uh, but it's literally, it's not based on a real person. It's based on a fictitious kind of like idealized version of a person. So currently believed by some to not be a portrait, it is a trony or a fictitious representation of a fictitious person. (laughs) Real representation of a fictitious person. There we go. Got it. The background that surrounds her, I'm just going to give you a little bit of formal analysis and formal context, just formal analysis, just so you know. So the background that surrounds her is basically pitch black, even though at one point it was actually like a dark green kind of color. Um, and so that makes her the central focal point because she's just very fair skinned. She's glowing. She's just, she is literally the main focal point. Uh, she does, she is dressed in some quote unquote exotic as a lot of art historians has called it clothing. It's very Orientalist, but that fits into the time period, but she's in a robe. It's like a yellowish kind of color. And then she has a turban on her head again, very Orientalist. And she has this giant globe of an earring hanging from her left ear. That is what we were talking about today. Pearls are very prominent in Vermeer's paintings. You can see a wide variety of different paintings where uh, the female figures are either wearing like pearl earrings, a pearl necklace, blah, blah, blah. But these accessories may not actually be pearl. So a little bit of backstory to the context of when this piece was created. The Dutch Republic was reaching its like supreme peak, both for trading, for letter writing. There's there's a lot of history behind it. This was part of my graduate student work, and I absolutely found it fascinating. Like the Netherlands were becoming this massive empire at this time. Trade was expanding. Unfortunately, in a lot of scenarios, that was 
absolutely terrible for most people who are not the Dutch or most people who are not European. So, you know, there was a lot of goods being traded from various different places. So we can see that in this painting, both from the girl's outfit and also from her earring. Pearls at this time were extremely, extremely, extremely expensive, especially looking at the huge size of this freaking earring. It is massive. And pearls were expensive because they had to be shipped from South Asia to the Netherlands in the 17th century. that take a long, long, long fucking time. So based on the weight and the size of the pearl in this piece, it is extremely unlikely that Vermeer or any of the people who were in this painting, again, if this is a trony, highly unlikely that he would have been able to afford the pearls that he painted in his pieces likely suggesting that he actually referenced imitation glass pearls instead. So again, another super brief story, but that's just another theory that's been posited. Um, I guess technically the name of the painting still fits, but I guess now it should be girl with an imitation glass pearl earring or something. <laughs> Stupid art history jokes. Come here for them. Anyway, on to our final story. If you own A Balloon Dog Blue by Jeff Koons, its value may have just gone up. <laughs> At the start of last week, there were 799 of them. At the end of last week, there were 798. Apparently, at a VIP preview, nonetheless, um, in Miami for the Art Winwood Contemporary Art Fair, this really cute 15-inch tall blue porcelain sculpture smashed to the ground when an art collector knocked into it. So really quickly, just want to clarify, there are a couple different series of Balloon Dog by Jeff Koons. There are the original like 12 foot tall ones. Uh, I think they're 12 feet tall. I'm not talking about those because that would be, that actually be kind of amazing if somebody was able to break that. Honestly, that would be ridiculous and wild. Uh, but I'm talking about the little like newer kind of ones that uh, Jeff Koons made that are like I guess 15 inches, so about that. I don't know, whatever. To be fair about how this happened, this sculpture was placed on a clear acrylic podium that it was very translucent just from videos and photos that I've seen. And there was seemingly no extra protection around it. So it wasn't in a glass case. It didn't have a stand. It didn't have anything. I get that if you think it's a VIP preview or something like that, you might think that people would not get too close to it. But again, you have to think, if people have been drinking or doing whatever during the day, nine times out of ten, some fuckwit is going to come and break your artwork. So I'm not entirely blaming the people who had this on view, but also you have to take proper measures to make sure that this really expensive artwork is kept. Anyway, I digress. So apparently, this is what happened according to somebody who was in the gallery at the time. A spectator states that they saw an older woman tap on the sculpture and this spectator believes that they were the woman was trying to see if it was actually real or whatever and if it was like a balloon animal which if you most people in the art history field and in the world and collectors have heard of Jeff Koons but I digress again so the spectator saw this old woman tapping on the balloon and it immediately knocked and shattered on the floor how does that happen i just Again, I can't believe that they didn't have some sort of protective case over this. I feel like this is the gallery's fault, full force. Like, you should never be touching the artwork. I totally believe that. But you need to take... It's like being pissed off that somebody ran into your car because you put it in the middle of an intersection. 
you have to be safe. Like you have to take certain security measures to make sure that your artwork is safe. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So apparently when everyone heard the crash within the gallery, people came running from everywhere to see what had happened. And someone else in the gallery said that it was like a car crash where you could kind of couldn't look away, but you were like, oh my God, what just happened? Also, the previous spectator who saw the woman touch the touch the sculpture and then it shattered on the ground, they actually offered to buy the pieces that were shattered on the ground because they think now this piece has more of a story to tell, which I totally agree. It's a little fishy though. There, something doesn't feel quite right, which maybe this was like a, a publicity stunt or something like that. Um, but could you imagine being that person that broke this sculpture? If it was entirely on accident, I would just want to die. Or if I was even in that gallery and I saw this happen, I would die of secondhand embarrassment. I just would not be able to. I I would just change my hair, change my name, move to a very different place like Mars or something. Attendees at the gallery also were left wondering if this actually happened or if it was a performance art piece, which is totally fair. I do have to admit it's a little unnerving though when we can't, we're having more and more trouble separating reality from fake. But again... Oh my God, that's going to be a whole other tangent. Maybe that'll have to be a separate podcast episode on its own. But it's just, it's interesting where we kind of don't really know what's real anymore. And some things that are so unbelievable are just that. Like they are truly unbelievable. It's hard to believe, oh my God, this actually happened. (laughs) So anyway, uh, when Jeff Koons found out about it, he was very blase about the whole accident, which he has been before when things have been broken. He's just like, yeah, whatever, it happens. So thankfully, the gallery did not have a you break it, you buy it policy because that lady would have been shit out of luck. Again, it could be a publicity stunt, but I don't know. I don't know what to believe anymore. I'm also very confused what's real and what's fake. So blah, blah, blah. Anywho, so that will do it for this episode of Bayamara. Sorry, this is a little bit of a longer one, but thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you like the episode, please make sure to like it, subscribe, all the fun, wonderful stuff really helps. So I truly appreciate it. I appreciate you listening to me every week or whenever you started joining. Um, I love you. I hope you have a great week and I will see you in the next one. I'm Amara Andrew. Never stop creating. 